0: to go back to Matthew 5 again, we are reviewing what is really the terms of the new covenant or the standard that God has set for us to live by in this day and age. Uh, This was the beginning of that when he gave this session with his disciples. As you'll recall, we stopped last time I spoke. With blessed are the merciful, for they should obtain mercy in verse 7. This week we come down to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be God. Now there is a chapter by chapter, will, uh, progression here in this book. Because we're working for the right attitudes before it's all done. So, you got to start out in verse 3, with the poor in spirit, those who recognize the spiritual lack. No matter what it is, if you don't understand a need or a lack, you'll never fill it. If you are not, if you don't know you're thirsty, you won't fill a glass instead a drink of water. Will you? It is that heat, that suction of a lack or a thirst, that creates a desire to do something. So he starts there first. You've got to recognize the lack, the need, the dearth, the spiritual poverty that you have. Then you might do something about it. So recognition, first of all, is a problem. Now isn't that what Alcoholics Anonymous or anyone else does? First of all, they want you to recognize that you have a problem. If you're in denial... To deny that the problem exists, whatever it might be, you're not going to change it or overcome it. You must recognize a need or a problem. Then it talks about those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. What are they mourning over? Their need, their lack. If you're thirsty, do mourn till you get a glass of water. Ah, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, when you recognize a lack, you begin to take a mournful attitude toward it, then that should strip away the vanity, go the to self-centeredness, and you should become meek and teachable, willing to listen. And when you are willing to listen, and you begin to hunger and thirst for that which you lack, you'll be filled. See, see the progression here. And as you are filled, then you will have mercy on others who are going through what you have been going through. Natural progression. Sometimes we have compassion and pity on those who are suffering the same problems we may have suffered. And in one sense, that's why birds of feathers come together, because they have the same wants, the same needs, perhaps even the same weaknesses. And often, however, they commiserate one Strengthen their weakness rather than overcome it because they tend to be alike. That is not the desired result. So if you go through that progression, then you come down to needing pure heart. Those who have a pure heart will stop. Now, what does a pure heart mean? If we are admonished to have one, and it will mean God we need to understand what a pure heart is word here in Strong's just simply means clean that's it a clean heart you could easily substitute clean heart here as opposed to pure and in fact in the King James version this same word the in the Greek means is translated clean pure or clear so a clean a pure or a clear heart is what is desired. It made me think of the word catharsis, which probably came from this Greek word. I didn't look. But let's look at the definition of catharsis. Catharos is the Greek. I'm sure it came from the same. It means purification. This is from Buggs Dictionary. Purification or purging of the emotions. A mind or a heart that is troubled or that has conflict and varying purposes is frustrating and you need a catharsis something to purge or clean and purify the emotions uh, it also brings spiritual renewal or release tensions. Uh when David prayed the Psalm 51 prayer he had a great deal of difficulty because it had Sins and problems. His mind was not directed and focused the way it should be. He got himself into all kinds of troubles and difficulties. And he was troubled in spirit, troubled in mind and heart. So he went before God, and his prayer really was a Tarsus, wasn't it? He asked God to cleanse him, to purify him, to make his heart clean before God, so that there wasn't the doubt, there wasn't the lack of faith, because when you sin, it creates a distrust in God. How do you trust God to do for you when you are doing opposite from Him? See how much faith that will kill. How do you expect a positive answer from God when you are not doing the positive things He has asked you to? It creates doubt. Will God hear my prayer because of your condition? David had a certain amount of that in Psalm 51. But he says, if you'll do this for me, make me clean and pure." I'm sure he felt good at that prayer because he bared his soul before God. He asked God to be involved in his heart and in his mind, to take care of the problem, wash it all away, to make him white as snow. And God did. And then David felt good. So it was a farce to him, sort of an enema of the mind, if you will third definition of catharsis is the elimination of a complex that is a mental complex or attitude uh, by bringing it consciousness and affording it expression eliminating a problem in the mind by facing it and vocalizing it now isn't that what David was doing he had a problem in his mind, so he went to God. He vocalized it, he admitted it, he went to God and eliminated it, so that he felt clean and pure and right and good before God. Now that's a feeling I'm sure that we've all experienced, probably many times. We probably experienced it at baptism, because we felt that all of our sins. Our past were washed away, and we stood clean and white and pure before God at that moment, having been down in the water, symbolic of washing away those sins. What a catharsis that was. And we have felt it since then many times in prayer when we've done what is wrong, and we repented and asked God to forgive us and Christ's sacrifice and blood be shed for us all over again because of our sins the good feeling when you feel clean inside when you felt emotional trouble, doubts, fears, guilt, whatever it might be. So you want to be clean, pure, and clear. Let's use the analogy of a glass of water. We like water, don't we? And for the most part, you don't want anything in your water, but maybe ice. So let's say you pick up a glass of water, and there's a fly. swimming around on the top of it. You will reject that glass. Will you get a spoon and the fly out and it anyway? Some of us might. But for most people, they'd pour that out and get a new glass. Depends on how thirsty you are and how much water is I've, I've had water with that much sand at the bottom around here. All right, it just looks a so little gritty. But for the most part, I like to have it clean. I remember the Nawitna the, uh, the River up in Alaska came into the Yukon. had a lot of tannin in it, fantastic, for good free. And the water was clean for the most part, but it was just plain brown. You dip a glass of that water out of the river. And here was this brown water. I mean as brown as your tan. It just didn't look drinkable. We want it clean and pure. Now some of you with your drink might like a pickled onion or an olive in it. You know, you don't mind that. That doesn't look like pollution to you. What about God if he had a big glass? He had a nice, clean water there, and you dropped in it. Would he drink it? Just ask the question. Let's go to Job 25. Job 25. And here I want uh, verse 4. Of course, they were discussing Job's problem back and forth. He must have had a problem, obviously. They thought otherwise all these bad things would have happened to really. him. Not necessarily so. But they asked a question How then can man be justified with God, considering what we are? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? It doesn't necessarily mean the woman was unclean. It's just that how can we, being human, be clean? Now, if we are to become pure and to become clean, we need to find an answer to this question. Was put to Joe, or that he, Bill, that I guess is the one that said that. So it was the. Let's go to Proverbs 20, verse 9. Proverbs 20 and verse 9. Who can say? Who can say, I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin? Who can say that? Can any of us say, I am pure, I am clean from my sin? That is something that we'd like to be able to answer positively at some point. Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the eternal weighs the spirit, the attitude, the human mind. So, don't we have to have the recognition? Isn't that where Christ started in that dissertation with his disciples? You've got to recognize there is a problem. But, In our own eyes, we tend to find a way to justify however we think, whatever it might be, how we like things, how we might have been brought up, our way of thinking, and our mind is such a beautiful mind, that whatever we think must be right. Whatever attitude we have must be the right attitude. And if we even recognize, or someone else recognizes, that our attitude and spirit is not right, we will resist it. We get defensive, justify someone else brings up that we might not have the right attitude or approach, and we'll resist that. And in our own mind, we will find a way to justify however we are, lest we have to change it. So, in our own estimation, our thinking is the correct thing. And if someone thinks differently, than us, then we automatically assume they must be wrong. It is not human or normal or natural to assume that they must be right and you must be wrong. After all, that's how you think what has to be right. You wouldn't think that way if it wasn't right. But God weighs the attitude. He weighs what's behind it. and he sees clearly that's why clearness purity and that analogy of clean water is important to God we'll read about some people a little later on who looked at themselves with a different view let's go to Titus now. Titus and here I want chapter 2 Beginning in verse one, Titus two. Now this is a letter from Paul to Titus, explaining to him the way church should be administered, his own attitude, and how he should approach things, and how our minds should be. God chose to have this earth for us to read. Tell Titus, but speak you the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be serious are sober, are vigilant, uh, serious, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience, what the attitudes of people should be. He was to ensure that these things happen. He was to teach and preach these things. The aged women, the older women, likewise, if they be in behavior, comes holiness. That's another word for pure, is holy, clean. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, moral, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. The word of God, be not blasphemed. In other words, that we not be hypocrites, claim to be Christians, claim to follow God's way. But then are we doing these things which are contrary to God? Young men likewise, of course, to be sober or discreet. Uh, young people, very young, young men especially, I suppose, tend to take a view of life of let's party, let's have a good time. Nothing's no good unless we're having a good time. Aren't taking things seriously? No, they want to be married perhaps at some point, but do they take seriously? All the things that go into making a marriage profitable and good. Are they learning things they need to learn to be a good husband? Are they learning to save? Are they learning to manage money? Are they learning to work? All the things that a future father in law would bring up to them. Oh, you want to marry my daughter? You got a job? Got any savings? Are you in debt? On and on it would go. You know the story. And that applies spiritually, not for taking the pride. In all things showing pattern of good works, our lives should be a pattern of doing good things. Uh-oh. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, seriousness, sincerity. Sound speech. Not willy-nilly, silly, stupid. But sound speech that cannot be content. In other words, speak those things which they can't find fault with, and that's the way we should be thinking. That he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient to their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not talking back, but being obedient willing, being humble, doing whatever the master desired. People then in the church had their own place. And there were slaves who were in the church converting. And this is instruction to the slave on how to speak to the master. That goes completely against our grain, doesn't it? To even be considered the cost of the slave. Yet we've made ourselves willing slaves of Christ. And we are told approach him with meekness and humility love and obedience not purloining but showing all good faith and fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things so everything in our life has to do with God and the doctrine of God it is a way but said another place religion isn't something on Sabbath, religion is a way of life, a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of living. It affects every part of our life. There is not any part of life that should not be affected by God's Word, because God has something to say on any and every subject that has to do with Jesus He regulates every aspect of life. None does he leave out. So, whatever part of your life there might be a question about, there is something said in this book about it. And we have to rightly sort it out, to learn how to properly apply it. If you're to be pure, to be clean, that means every aspect, of it. everything in your life to be that way, according to God's. Covenant or agreement of marriage with us. Uh, verse 11: For the gospel of God, better translation that brings salvation to all men, taking, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So we're in an evil world, has wrong culture, wrong ways everything about it is upside down backwards and wrong and he says that we are to live in this world in a sober righteous godly manner. now there's a challenge for you you can assume you don't have to assume it we are told here that essentially everything in this world is backwards to God's way it's Satan's world he's deceived it all Runs it for the time being. When Christ returns and sets up the millennium, everything will be reversed. Everything will be done differently. So if it's in this world, you can bet it's backward in some ways, twisted in some fashion. Now it may appear good. You know, even Satan's demons appear as angels of light. And people would think that they were angels of light. So there's a lot of things out here in this world that appear good. But there's always a twist, always something wrong. Now, it may, may not always be so diametrically wrong, but you would recognize it. But there is where Satan is a master of subtlety. He's going to make that appear good, which is actually evil to the core. The new world order is going to be made to appear beautiful, wonderful, and peace brought on earth. A counterfeit of the millennium of Christ. That's the way it will be built. And it will deceive everybody but you and me. I hope it doesn't deceive. So that things can be made to look pretty good out there. But they're not clean and pure. So how much does it take? Proverbs says, a fly in the ointment spoils the apothecary. Or like we use the analogy, fly in your drinking water spoils it. So it doesn't take much to spoil the ointment. Just a certain pop of evil in there is enough to ruin the whole glass. What's oh, a challenge to live God in the present world. Looking, verse 13, for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. There's one I didn't find when I was doing the uh, the New Earth series. The appearance of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. They're both coming in the millennium. They're going to dwell right here. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, purify to himself a redeemed people, zealous of good works. Now that's, we had a minute today about the thing Christ was doing with the church. Well, here's something to echo that. He is here, working to redeem us from all iniquity, and to purify to himself a redeemed people, zealous of good works. That's one of the major jobs that he is doing right now. It's purifying us. These things speak the and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. So he tells Titus these are the things that have to be preached. They have to be preached loud and with authority, not to let any man despise this teaching, what he had to say. Titus himself was not the key, but what Titus was going to say would be the key. So, he is here to purify us. Remember, we asked the question, how can a man say pure? How can he look at himself and say he's pure? Well, God looks down and he sees impurity on the earth. There's a lot of it. He saw so much impurity that he wiped it out in a flood once, he saw so much impurity that he divided the language, scattered it to Babel, and he sees so much impurity, he is going to cause, die, most of the population of the earth, 90%. It's the only way that that kind of purity can get So the people will have a humble, meek attitude, either in the millennium or the great white throne judgment, when he begins to enact upon them how much they lack righteousness. But he's doing it with you and me right now. We have Matthew 5 as our guide to show us what we need to see and what we need to do so that we don't have to go through what this world is going through. In other words, this is a message of deliverance for us. That if we will respond to these things that Christ is explaining in Matthew 5 and which is then reiterated and put in different words, different analogies, different contexts by all the other Bible writers, if we'll listen to that and do it, then we will be purified and we won't have to go through the incredible purification that is it's about to come on the world. Notice Titus 3, 1-6 while we're here. <clears throat> Put them in mind to be subject to principalities of power, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to have a ready mind, a ready attitude, to do whatever needs to be done. To speak evil of no man. There's a mouthful, one little verse, one little phrase. To be no fighters or brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness to all men. We re- realize our lack, then that should make us meek. It should make us submissive. It should make us willing to listen, to understand that we, the way we think, is not always right. Someone else might have a good opinion. We need to be meek and listen to it. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving different lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's just a normal human state. I remember it from childhood in school. People were jealous. They were catty. They were snippy. They were bad mouthing each other, running each other down in an equal way. I mean good hearted, good naturedly kidding each other, that's different. But there was envy, jealousy, lust, all kinds of negative human nature behind that. I remember it from the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. Starts early. So we were all like that at one point. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man, we began to have a different look. Not by works of righteousness, which we had done, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit in us. which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So a transformation began to occur from lust, vanity, greed, jealousy, envy, and all those things into a different way of thinking. meekness, of humility, of love, of concern, of caring, of helping. We began to have a different attitude. I dare say that the transformation is not yet complete, that we still have work to do. But at baptism and the inception of God's, or conception of God's spirit, we began walking in that direction. And it's a walk we have to continue and improve in as we go. Notice James 4. Let's begin in verse 1. Where do the wars and fighting Come from among you. Why do we have these problems? Come they not, even of your lusts at war in your members, or your pleasures, your desire for self-gratification, self-satisfaction, taking care of the self, self self-gratification. You lust and have not. In other words, you desire things, you want things. You don't always have the happiness that you think those things will achieve. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. We're going to the wrong source. We're trying to get the answers we want and the things we want by our own effort rather than going before God because some of the things we really want are peace and prosperity, happiness, joy. Those are things we desire, security. And yet we're not seeking those in God. We're seeking them in this world. And you'll not find those answers in this world. So if we don't have the right attitude and we're not going about it right, then we don't get the answer we're after. Now he's talking to the church here, you adulterers and adulteresses. Know you not that the friendship of the world is in the peace of God. When you go to this world try to find answers, sins, uh fulfillment, whatever then you are an enemy of God. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. If you are friendly with this world, with this culture, with this way of thinking, then God calls you His enemy. Is there any way to put that in a clearer way? If we are lovey-dovey with Like the things of, spend time with the world, we are enemies of God. We enjoy the things of this world in a wrong way. We become the enemy of God. You cannot serve God and money, it says, or God and man. Man's way is the money way. Wealth, materialism is what we're after in this nation, in this world not God's way. Do you really think that the Scripture says in pain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? Isn't it true of us? The Scripture says it, isn't it? There are all kinds of lusts and envies that come with human nature. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Any vestige of pride that we have retained must go away, whatever that pride might be. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Is this the devil And he will see from you? And here's what he tells us to do. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How are we double-minded? We're double-minded when we say we're seeking to be like God. We're seeking to be Christian, which means a follower of Christ. And then we do things that are not Christian. We think things that are not Christian. As we get on into Matthew 5, 6, and 7 deeper, we'll find that he not only gives all these principles at the beginning of what our attitude should be and what our state of mind and emotion should be but then he gets specific about examples of how we ought to be thinking so we don't miss the point in other words he outlines for us the way we ought to think the attitude we ought to have and he says now in case you didn't get it here are some examples that's what the rest of Matthew 5, 6, 7 are about of how we ought to think We have to be single-minded, totally focused on the kingdom of God. Now, it's easy to lose that focus and put our minds on the things on this earth. And it's not wrong for us to work for a living. It's not wrong for us to build a house. It's not wrong for us to milk a cow. It's not wrong for us to do any number of physical things. But you see, you cannot separate the physical and the spiritual. When you are doing a physical thing, you should do it as God would do it. Now, when Christ was on the earth as a young man, his father, his physical father, was a carpenter. And he worked along with his father as a carpenter, or a carpenter's apprentice, or assistant, if you will. Now, that was a physical thing. How did he go about building a house? I am sure that he went about building a house as his Father in heaven would have built. And now he's building a temple, a house here spiritually, and our bodies, he says, are a temple of his spirit. A heavenly building, he puts it. And he wants the best ingredients to go into you and to me. He wants the very best in every way in us. And we are to take care of the temple of God that he has given us, both physically and spiritually. We are to thrive physically, and we are a very degenerate people, eating very degenerate foods, and some things aren't foods. But God wants us to be very, very careful what we put in our bodies, We in past times have been very careless about it. Throw anything down there that tasted good. Didn't matter if it was garbage. Tasted good, okay. Tastes good. What's it doing to our bodies? Look at the diabetes. Look at the heart disease, the cancer, various things. Society is a pandemic. With today, when one third of Americans are going to contract cancer before they die, that is a pandemic. And that is where the statistics are right now. I'm here to tell you, Coke and Pepsi and white bread and white flour and sugar are worse for your body than pig. People have eaten pig for thousands of years and retained fairly healthy bodies through those generations. It has only been essentially the last hundred years that we have eaten these chemicals and treated and processed foods, if you can call them that. And in that hundred years, we have gone from a fairly healthy people to a very sick, degenerate, dying generation. Even when I was a child you rarely heard of cancer, you rarely heard of heart disease. Sugar diabetes was called sugar diabetes, and it was very rare to know anyone that had it. Today, you know a lot of people that have all the above. Some of your relatives have it, some of those things, and they're dying from them. You have relatives and friends who are having babies that are born with cancer and heart disease. Because of what we've been putting in our bodies. But we resist, don't we? We don't want to change our habits. We say, well, the meals I eat are good. It's okay if I have this other stuff on the side. God wants our physical bodies to be taken care of. Now, as evil a man as Clinton is, he has seen the soda pop in candy is dangerous to the health and has a movement to get it all taken out of the school. Of course, schools are resisting and the kids want that gun. We're to be pure in body and pure in spirit. Our body is the temple of God's spirit. And when Christ was a carpenter, he built the house very best he could. And when he's building us, He's building us the very best he can. Now, I don't think that you should substitute pig for coke. Pig is unclean. But it is not as bad for your body as these things that we eat that we take for granted because they're killing us a lot faster than pig and shrimp. They really are. purify your heart double minded and it's not just our body pollution in it's our mind garbage in garbage out the way it is where do you put garbage? You put it in a landfill don't you? and if we're putting garbage in our mind what does our mind become? it becomes a landfill full of all kinds of unclean rotting garbage and it raises a stink in God's eyes, Christ, God, one of his major works right now is purifying for himself a redeemed, redeemed from what? Redeemed from the thinking, acting, the way of the world. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We can find all kinds of ways and reasons to justify some of the things we do, think, some of the things we allow to be in our mind. But God looks on the heart and the spirit, and the mind, the attitude, and He knows whether you were really working at cleaning your mind up or whether you were in a process of self defense, self justification. Ultimate self righteousness has to go with it. Alright, let's page tie James eight or James four with Isaiah one. Isaiah one. You know when I preach these things I always meet resistance. Wonder why. Because we are yet carnal. Because we are yet wanting to cling to to the things of this world, we're not willing, ready to give them up. Verse 13 of Isaiah Bring no more vain oblations. Don't bring to me a sacrifice or an offering that isn't pure, true, godly, and righteous. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I can't handle it. <laughs> if our attitudes aren't right, then all the Sabbath keeping and the new moons and the feasts and everything else we go to don't mean thing. We can't handle them. It is iniquity. Solemn meeting. If we come before God offering our sacrifice and it's an unclean sacrifice, then God can't handle that. If we come before Him as the Christians and we don't act like a Christian and think like a Christian, then to God, that's hypocrisy. And he's not happy with it. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary to bear them. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. And that's exactly what he's doing with the church today. The very church of God hidden his eyes from. Yes, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Remember what we read in Lamentations? Put a cloud between us and him. He can't stand to look directly at us. Put the cloud there. We have to penetrate the cloud. Your hands are full of blood. So what does he tell us to do in that case? If God can't stand to look at us, here's what we're to do. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Believe the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says he. Let's, let's talk about this. Then. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though so they be red like crimson, <coughs> they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, bowered with the sword, for the mouth of the eternal has spoken it. So he gives us there a fork in the road. We can go on into the destruction that is beginning to show itself on this earth. And perhaps the next world war has begun in Israel. Time will tell. Will it expand and grow from here or back off? It doesn't act like it's going to back off, but it could. But even if it does, we're still very close. And this is the last generation God is working with on this earth. So this is written to you and to me. Let's go to Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Verse 25, I'm breaking into the middle of the diatribe that he had against the Pharisees, and I won't go through the whole thing, because it's pretty bad what he has to say. But let's pick it up down at verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you may clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. You blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup spiders, the outside of them may be clean also. He called them whited sepulchres. They were all painted white on the outside, but inside were dead men's bones. Now it is true that the physical has a great level of bearing on our minds, and if we live in a cluttered environment, it is indicative of a cluttered mind. I don't think there's any way of having an uncluttered mind when you live in a totally cluttered environment because that environment shows pretty much what's going on in the mind. On the other hand, you can be as the Pharisees and for show, clean up the outside and make yourself look good that you might observe. And that's what they did. They didn't change what was on the inside. They just tried to make themselves look good. In other words, they didn't quietly give, but they had someone blow a trumpet when they dropped their offerings in the box. They wanted men to see that they were doing good works. They even had l- real wide borders of white on their clothes so that they could write their on them for people to read. But at the same time, they were lying, stealing, committing adultery and so on and so forth. So they made a pretense of being godly by cleaning up the outside so you can indeed clean up the outside and look good to people and yet inside not be what you could be at all. So it isn't, it isn't enough to clean the outside. You've got to clean the inside. That's the point he was making not done that they were evil inside alright let's go to Isaiah 52 Isaiah 52 we simply need to understand when he says blessed to the pure in heart what it means to be pure in heart. If you don't define it, you don't understand it, you don't understand what is impure, then how are you going to become pure? Isaiah 52, verse 11, depart you, depart you, go you out from thence, touch no unclean thing. We can't touch the unclean. We can't let it touch us. We have to keep the unclean out of our minds watch fornication, lying, cheating and stealing and murder and violence and rape because that's touching it. That's letting it come into our mind and that begins to affect us in the way that we think and act. Go you out of the midst of her. Be you clean that bear the vessels of the eternal. We, the church of God, are the only people on earth to bear the vessels of the eternal. We're the only ones. No one else on earth does that. So this is talking directly to us. We must be absolutely clean, squeaky clean if we're to be pure in heart. That's what it means. Clean, pure, same word, same Greek word. Translated all those ways. Now, God looked down at the church and he saw that it was not pure at heart. It was not clean, clear through. It was impure. It was still full of lust, vanity, greed, jealousy, envy, hate, politics, all those things that are not good and are not godly. And he blew it all apart. Now, there are different groups that are splinters from the church of God. Who claim that they are the select, the very elect, the ones that restored the church of God, or whatever word they might Well now, if you've restored worldwide, what have you got? If you've restored worldwide, you have that which God could not stomach and blew apart. You haven't gained anything. You've gone right back to that which God couldn't stand in the first place. So why stand up and say, I've restored the church of God? But you've still got the exact same doctrine, same exact understanding, and the same politics, and the same problems that were rife in the church of God. God tells us very clearly in the book of Haggai that we did not have what we needed, and that He would rebuild, and He would do it differently, and that the glory of the latter temple exceed that of the former temple. So going back to worldwide for you and me is not good enough. We've got to go way beyond, we've got to go way beyond what God spewed out of His mouth. Now one of the key issues addresses, in terms of conduct, is in Haggai 2. He tells us to work in Haggai. He tells us to build a temple. He tells us to be of good courage. Then he gives us some instruction. Go down to Haggai 2, verse 11. Thus says the Eternal of Host: Ask now the priests concerning the law. Say, All right, here's a question that the people are to put before the priests. The Ministry, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do to bread or pottage or wine or oil, or any food, shall it be holy. And the priest answered, said no. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body, and certainly this world is a dead body. Touch any of these, shall it be unclean. And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, speaking of the former church and the latter church, speaking of worldwide and that which is to be built now. So is this people, and so is this nation before me, and so is every work of their hands, that which they offer there is unclean. We touch the world. We became a part of the world. We were friends with the world. We became unclean God's destination. That's why we cannot be friends with the world. We cannot partake of what the world is doing or thinking, brethren. I know this is hard. I know we're tired of hearing it. But we must do something about it. Our very lives are at stake here. We change very slowly. We turn loose of this world very slowly. It's very difficult. It's not easy. It's not what we would desire. We don't want to leave Babylon. Even though we may have gotten up, some of us physically, and got out of the middle of it, we bring it with us. Or if we came out and saw that we needed to, then we began to reintroduce it, go back to some of those things we did there, We came out, but we'll go back to town and imbibe of it or bring it into our homes in various electronic ways. God really intended us not to touch it, didn't he? Isn't that what he said? We must make some changes. It's life and death. It's a matter of whether or not we are accounted worthy to escape all these things that are coming or not. Just being in the church is not enough. It is the church that he's talking to when he says you must be accounted worthy of these things. It's life and death for us. It doesn't seem like it may be sitting here today, but that's what it is. We must change. must come to have a pure, clean heart and mind doesn't come easy either. Ezekiel 44, verse 23. Ezekiel 44, verse 23. And they shall teach thy people the difference between the holy and the same and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Just because we're in the church, just because we're God's people, doesn't mean that we have made a clean, clear demarcation between good and evil. It's something that must be done. Now, if God blew worldwide apart and He did then we must think about what we were doing that was ungodly. We kept the Sabbath at the Holy Days. We went to the Feast. We didn't work on Saturday. We tithed. We did a lot of things that the Bible says that it needs to take your strength. You know, on and on it goes. We had a lot of doctrinal things correct. But there was something missing. And part of what was missing is we're not discerning between the clean and the unclean. Now, when it came to pigs, shrimps, and lobsters, we were, weren't we? But obviously there were some things that we were not making a difference in. And we had to be blown apart so that we would think about what it was. If it wasn't pigs, then it must have been something else. What? What? look upon ourselves as God's only true people on earth. Herbert Armstrong told us this hasn't been proclaimed in 1900 years. I'll get it right sooner or later. And indeed, in a way, it happened. But we just didn't go far enough. We did not come clean from this world. And we have not yet. What are we going to do about it? Is Daryl just going to yell at us some more? Are we going to do something? Are we going to change something? We'll say we are, and then we don't. What did Paul say? The things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. Hard, difficult, easy. And we fail. make mistakes. But are we at least trying to make a separation? Are we trying to get it right and maybe failing and slipping at times? Are we justifying what we're doing and going on about it? Oh, it's just his opinion. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you, it says right here that it's my job to help you see the difference between the holy and the profane, the clean and the unclean, and to discern that. Now, if we weren't clean and worldwide, we were dirty before God. We hadn't gone far enough, obviously. So that means to me we need to examine our lives very carefully and find out those things that might still be unclean that we're imbibing of so that we can make that separation. It wasn't pigs and shrimp. It had to be something else. has to do physical and the so make the difference and in controversy they shall stand in judgment will judge it according to my judgment and they shall keep my laws my statutes and all my assemblies and they shall hallow my statutes it's a future prophecy but Haggai tells us it's for today Ezekiel tells us it's now and forever the way it's going to be Isaiah 66. Isaiah 66. You know, it's it's a struggle for all of us. I'm commissioned to talk about it, but I struggle with it every day too. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. Because coming out of this world, getting rid of the unclean and our thinking and our actions, is not easy for any of us. Not easy at all. Isaiah 66. I wrote down verse 20. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I want. Isaiah 66:20. They shall bring all this in the world tomorrow. They shall bring all your brethren for an offering to the Eternal out of all nations, upon horses and in chariots and in litters and upon mules and upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem. Uh, the, the whole world is going to be required to worship God and to bring offerings to God from all over the earth and whatever by whatever means they had. And upon swift beasts to my holy mountain Jerusalem says the Eternal, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel into the house of the Eternal. Now He's already told us in Isaiah one not to bring any more vain oblations. Don't be as the Pharisees. I out to God and make prayers in the street. They don't clean up the inside. That doesn't impress. Me. Don't do that. Doesn't help. But He says that Israel is bring an offering in a clean vessel. And we are a vessel, a pottery, as used in Isaiah 64 and other scriptures. So God is making pots of us, clay pots. The potter with the clay, turning us into. We hope vessels of honor and he says if we're to bring something for him it is to be an offering in a clean vessel I find it a lot of times difficult to go before God when I've been thinking wrong thoughts or I've done something wrong whatever it might be and I have to go through all this repentance and asking for forgiveness and all that seems like I have to do that every day because I fail every last day, not form or fashion, not several. Wouldn't it be nice to come to the point that I've gotten away from the thinking of this world and I'm thinking godly all the time? And I could present myself before God as a clean, pure vessel. And the offering of my prayers I bring to Him is offered by a clean, pure vessel. I wouldn't know how to act. I need to learn how to act that way, I guess, because I need to learn to be that way. Because my sins separate me from God. The things I think separate me from God. Therefore, when I go before God, I have to go through this thing. Every day, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Help me in spite of myself. Help me do what I need to do. Help me think better today than I did yesterday, you know, on and on and on. I haven't lied, I haven't stolen, I haven't cheated, I haven't killed anybody yet, but pretty soon I'm going to have to get up. So I'm going to get You've heard the joke. Let's come to the point that we go before God and offer an offering in a clean vessel. Pure in heart, clean, all the way through. Isaiah... No, I, I, let's let's skip over that. Let's go to Psalm 24. I'll start wrapping this up here. Psalm 24, verse three. Well, let's start in verse one. The earth is the eternal, and the fullness thereof; the world and they that dwell therein, it all belong to Him that made us. For He has founded it upon the seas, established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the eternal? We sing this or who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going to stand at the holy place of God? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Clean hands and a pure heart will stand before God on his holy That's a promise. If we will become that way, He will stand before God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 51.10. I've quoted this in principle at least today already. Psalm 51 verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit or attitude within me. His attitude toward God had got floppy, cloudy, contaminated, adultery, murder. And I'm sure he found some way of justifying things in his mind. And then he began to realize how awful he had been. His attitude had been wrong. So he was begging God to give him clean hands and pure heart. So he could be in the presence of God again, and the good graces of God. Psalm 73, verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. God will be good to those who have a clean, pure heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well near slipped. He realized he had drifted so far from God. And he's still writing about it in Psalm 73. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. saw people around him seeming to prosper and do well and on all counts seemed to be happy. And he was a little envious. He was going through all kinds of problems. It was hard to obey God. David had a lot of human nature. It was very difficult. And it was easy to lust after and envy the world and the things that were going on in the world and to want to be part of it. So he realized he needed a clean heart and that God would look to him and do good to him and would have it. But it was difficult for him. Now, how do you come to have a clean heart? Is it just a matter of getting rid of the world? All right, if you're going to get rid of the world, what do you have left in here? Nothing. A vacuum. If you take out everything that was the world, which is what we were, what do you replace it with? What do you do? Because you've got to fill a vacuum. John 15. Here's what we do about it. John 15. How do you get clean? I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. That's it's going to be. God looks upon the church as his vineyard. If you don't bring forth fruit, what do you do? If you have a tomato vine, a or grape vine, or anything else in your garden that's not producing, what do you do? Throw it out the door. I saw a pepper plant go out the door just yesterday wasn't doing what it ought to be doing, beaten up by bugs. So out it went. That's the way we do. It's the way God is. Every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, trims it, chops it, uh, prunes it. It may bring forth more fruit. Now, he says, you are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. It isn't enough just to get rid of the world. Then we have to fill our minds with something clean, something pure, something good. You can't just take the world out and have no thoughts. You've got to replace what the world put in your head with the things of God. And we're clean and pure with His Word. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. And without me, he says in verse 5, you can't do anything. Now, we already read earlier that he is redeeming for himself a people. A redeemed people. Redeemed from this world, from this world's thinking is. That's what we are to be. Redeemed from. Taken away from. The world gotten out of us, and him put in us. So instead of some of the things that we spend our time watching and listening to that are putting adultery and fornication and lying in our minds, we take that out and we read what? His words. There's the value in this book, is that it brings us to think as God thinks. I found over the years that if I listen to worldly music, what do I have going through my head? Worldly music. That no matter what the genre is, has to do usually with alcohol, or sex, in some form or fashion. Country, rock, pop, it doesn't matter. There are some just plain pure love songs. But if you listen to the radio for an hour, you're going to get a lot of that other Guarantee you. And I find that if I listen to that, and I don't hardly at all anymore, that's the songs that go through my mind. But I've also noticed at the Feast of Tabernacles that if I'm singing hymns all the way through for a week, what do I find going through my mind? Blessed is the man, you know. That's good as I think. Who does never walk astray. I'll find the hymns going through my head for weeks after the feast. Because that's what he said every day. What you put in your head is what goes through your head. If you put garbage in there, you have plenty that simple. If you have the words of God going in your head, you begin to think and even begin to act like God. All right, let's go to one more, Ephesians 5, along these lines. Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even Christ also loved you and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. How is Christ cleaning up and preparing his By washing it with his words. If we want to be prepared as Christ, we need to be imbibing his words. Why don't you make a little comparison sometime between the hours you are watching or listening to a television or music of the world, compare it with how much time you spent that day reading the Word of God and being watched by the Word. You know it's drop dead easy to watch television an hour a day. Two hours a day, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, some people are more. That's easy to do. Thirty minute sitcom can go by just like that. Or a program of any kind. But a half hour of Bible study takes a lot longer. Have you ever noticed that? It takes fifteen minutes to watch a half hour T V program, an hour to read the Bible half. What is that about human nature? preparing his bride, or Christ's bride, by washing it with the water of the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church. He wants a glorious church. He doesn't want one that's half asleep, half dead, Laodicean, full of spiritual pride. He wants it to be spiritually glorious. When a young man looks at his bride coming down the aisle, she should just shine in his eye. He should be so happy with how she looks and her attitude and the smile and the twinkle in her eye as she comes to be his bride. He should feel a great swelling inside of happiness and joy that he's about to marry that girl even though he's scared to death. And that's the way Christ is with the church. When he comes to take us as his bride, he wants us glorious. And he will glorify us at that moment. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, as we physically age, we suddenly begin to have spots on our skin, and we do have wrinkles, don't we? We begin to look our age, or past our age, or whatever, don't we? But see, spirit is ageless, and even though we have been designed to come spotted and wrinkled over time, it's part of the lesson clear are here to learn, that this physical deteriorates, that it goes bad in time, and finally it just lays down and dies it gets so bad part of the lesson we're to learn but the opposite of that is the spirit which grows and grows and the spots and the wrinkles come off and we become glorious and eternal don't fight aging physically it's there as part of the lesson for you to learn do it gracefully and patiently you can't stop it anyway (laughs) You, you can try but you know sooner or later it all falls apart But that it should be holy, pure, clean, holy, and without blemish, that's what he's seeking in us. We are pure in heart, clean in heart, our motives are right, we're not selfish, we're outgoing, concerned, giving, loving. that's what he's after. Let's look at uh oh, just three more scriptures very quickly, a little different uh idea here. Now let's go to the book of uh, Malachi. This is very much an end time book. Malachi. Let's go to 2 verse 17. You have wearied the eternal with your words. We speak that we're Christian. We speak that we're trying to be guilty, But we can be wearisome to God. Yet you say, how have we wearied him? The whole church of God might have asked that. How did we weary God to the point he got tired of us and blew us away? When you say, here's how we weary God, here's how we make him feel tired. Oh, why did I do this? When will it end? How can it go on? He got so weary with the world that he wiped it out. No Noah said, I wish I'd never made him. But because of Noah, he said, all right, we'll continue. When you say, everyone that does evil is good in the sight of the eternal, he delights in them. Here we were a church that was doing a lot of evil. Well, we were keeping the Sabbath and the Holy Days, weren't we? Eating pigs Must have been something else. Better think about that. Had there been something else? queried God. Something else we were doing, that we were doing that we thought was probably okay. And he delights in them. Or we might say also, where is the God of judgment? There's the God, why is he down here doing something? Why isn't he fixing this? Well, he is. He's not fixing it in Jerusalem. He's not fixing it in Israel. He's fixing it here. Right here. This is where he's fixing it. Now we're in a throwaway society, aren't we? We better hope God's not a throwaway God. If it breaks, throw it away. Used to be, if it breaks, fix it. Now the church broke. Thankfully God is not a throwaway God. He's going to fix it. But we had better be fixing it. Alright, notice. Chapter 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, Someone has got to come before Christ returns. Prepare the way for him. What did he preach? What did John the Baptist preach? Repent. Overcome. Change. Grow. Be different. What John the Baptist preached, what Christ preached, what Peter, John, and Paul preached. That's what has to be preached today. Like it or not. He shall prepare the way before me, and the eternal whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Not to the world. To his temple. I don't think this is talking about his return right here in this verse. It might be uh, have a double meaning, but he's coming to the church first. Agai makes that very clear. Zechariah one through four makes it very clear. Even the messenger of the covenant, whom you delight in, behold, he shall come, says the Eternal of hosts. But who may abide the day of his? Life? Who shall stand when he appears? Who will be willing and able to stand up? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Refiner's fire is very hot. takes all the impurities out of gold or silver. But it has to melt it, too. And that's what he is compared to. Refiner's fire. And like real, tough, grandma's lye soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the eternal an offering in righteousness out of a good, pure, clean vessel. An offering in vanity and ego and selfishness it means nothing to God. He says, I'm tired of it, I want. He's going to purify us so that we can be righteous and have his righteousness, and then when we offer something before God, acceptable to him, because it's coming out of a clean vessel, then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem bless the eternal as in the days of old, than in former years. And then he is going to be near to judgment, with witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, and against false swearers. And against those that oppress the hireling in his place, the widow, the fatherless, turn aside the stranger from his rights. don't fear God, says the Eternal of Hope. When he comes, he is going to sort us out as to who will obey and who will not obey, who will be clean and who will be pure, who will make a difference between the clean and the unclean. We must become clean, pure, clear before God. Or That's what this is all about. Otherwise we will be in trouble. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold the day comes that he shall that shall burn as an oven. Ever stick your hand in a 40 degree oven? Pretty warm in there. Yes, and all that do wickedly shall be stolen. The days that come shall burn them up, says the Colonel of Hosts, that it shall be root or branch. Well, he's coming, and when he does return, it's going to be with fire, pressure, trouble, and death. But to you, hear my name, shall a son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. The calf of the stall has plenty to eat. It doesn't have to worry about wolves and lions. It's safe, it's secure, it has everything it needs. <clears throat> and you shall tread down the wicked for they shall be ashes under the sole of your feet the day that I shall do this says the eternal host remember you the law of Moses my servant <clears throat> which I commanded to him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and the judgments this is the of the New Testament church but it reminds us of all the things that were written in Moses because Christ not do with
1: those
0: and made them even more binding in Matthew 5 7 Behold, I will send to Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the eternal, and he shall turn the heart of the, father, the heart of the children of their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with the curse, the curse of death. But he's going to send two, one representing Moses, one representing Elijah, in the end time, and we better pay attention to what they have to say, otherwise we will be burned along with the rest of the world. I'm going to turn to one more, back in Revelation 19, encouraging one at the end. Revelation 19, verse 8. Speaking of the marriage of the Lamb and Christ's bride, wife has made herself ready. She's gotten glorious. He's gotten rid of her spots and her wrinkles. She's ready to be married. Verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. We must put on absolute clean, white thinking and behavior. Righteousness is our clothing. That's what he is looking for in his bride. She will have made herself ready. She'll be ready to go. Verse 14. When he does come back with his bride to take over... Because the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. We're to come back to this earth with Christ, and we're to establish right purity, peace, happiness, and security for a thousand years. Now there is an order in the world, or an odor in the world, which is a false deceptive world odor. But it's going to claim is going to bring peace, happiness, and righteousness to this earth. But it's false. We have been given the opportunity, in of Jesus Christ himself, to be pure, clean, and to see God, be with God, and to help him really clean up the earth. That's what pure in heart has to do with. To be able to see God, live with God, know God. To be absolutely clean through and through. When he says bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ, that is exactly what he means. we're to be clean and pure in body, touch not the unclean thing in any way, physically or spiritually, to stay away from those things and become absolutely clean in mind, spirit and attitude. Then we will be usable as a fruitful vine that he can use to help establish a new world order of happiness, Everyone, including our own children, to live at the time. Really, is it worth the Yes, it is. It's worth controlling our minds and going to God and being washed by the water of the word rather than being immersed in the filth of this world. Because being immersed in the filth of this world is going to lead to death and being washed by the water of the word will lead to life eternal in the kingdom of God God.